Hey guys, uh, you know, we didn't address it last week. We had a lot going on last week with the best of, but, uh, you know, we got to pour one out for, I, I know a lot of our, our Buffalonian listeners, you know, come to this podcast for a take on the, on the Royal family. I know we're very concerned about it being so close to the border, but, uh, pour one out for Prince Philip at the ripe young age, 99. Mm-hmm. I know for myself, I was too heartbroken to even say anything like it just it, it struck a chord so deep that only now i had to take the week off i couldn't get out of bed yeah i i i wanted to bring up queen elizabeth as like best of person to have a hot dog with <laughs> but not prince philip because you know he, yeah. not anymore not anymore yeah he was he was number three on the list much like icarus he just flew too close to the sun right yeah well let's kick this thing off And we're back at the square once again. Buffalo's number one rated podcast about the royal family, and also Buffalo news, politics, and, and culture. I'm here today with Ryan. Hi, Jim. That's me. And today's special guest, Brian Nowak. Brian, how you doing, bud? Adio. Brian is our fir- is he first returning guest, or I guess Corinne gets that title. Yeah, no. But we are out of the snake pit in the backyard today. So if you see if you hear cars go by or people talking. In the background, that's probably why. Birds chirping. We're amongst the people. Mm-hmm. Amongst nature, we're outside. And um, you know, it feels good. It, it was a little cold earlier, but it's kind of warmed up. Maybe that's just my spirits are warmed up being being back recording with you gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Could be the beer. Could be the beer. Man, that might be. Yeah. Could be the hot dogs. Could be the, the hot dogs. Yeah. I made, I made hot dogs in the best place in Buffalo today, my backyard. Snake dogs. Snake dogs. Yeah, we'll see if that one catches on. Um, Once again, huge shout out to Lauren of Step Out Buffalo for last week's episode. However, you know, it's a little bit too much candy for you people. Okay, you get sick. Listen, we're looking out for your your, your best interest. If you eat too much candy, you're going to get a little tummy ache, all right? Your vegetables, your fiber. You get the vegetables. Now you get the good, oh man, you get a hearty vegetable here today. And we're going to talk about, you know, we we were nice. Maybe we'll be a little bit nicer in the future, boys. But I, I'm ready to like to dive in. We got all sorts of stuff. We got, we got Stefan stuff. We got Mark Poland car stuff. We got, we got it all. Action packed. Action packed. But Jim, give us the big news about. Let's start in the city. We always uh, go big and then go small. But let's start in the city this time. We got a big endorsement on the mayoral level. We did uh, the. Uh Democratic Socialists, the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, endorsed India Walton for mayor. All right. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, so, you know, you're starting to see a lot of the more progressive leftist organizations um, line up behind India. She's gotten a couple other endorsements from other groups. Um, and uh, you know, it, it definitely seems like I know this is one of your theories, Re, that this is some sort of proxy war against Cuomo and the establishment. And they're going to see how well they can do upstate in maybe their best chance to win Buffalo. Well, and this is only underscored for me by the fact that 
Byron Brown just recently appeared at a at an event with Andrew Cuomo. Um, recently reiterated his support for Andrew Cuomo as governor. I mean, truly, like he's hitched his wagons to Cuomo throughout his political career, and even in a time of Cuomo being in great strife, you know that's his that's his card. He's got to play it. So it makes sense to me that if you are waging a battle on Cuomo and and the establishment Democrats, that this would be, you know, one front to to fight that war on. Brian, what do you think about India Walton getting this big national push? And uh, DSA is not the only organization that's done this. There's been some other national organizations mm-hmm. uh, that have endorsed as well. But um, you take a look at what DSA's done with uh, Angus King and the Pro Act. They pretty much got him to flip his vote through the phone banking and, and the work that they've been doing uh, in Maine. So it could be a big deal, you know, if 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 they really if the folks in DSA really mobilize and uh, set up phone banks, uh, make sure that that donate link is getting out there. You know, that can mean real real resources, real mobilization for the June primary. Yeah, I mean, it's there's definitely a feeling of if if momentum is a thing. It's more on the India Walton side than it is on the Mayor Brown side. Um, I mean, because, yes, he was appearing with the governor, but there was no press available. The governor's doing these uh, Rose Garden-esque type uh, situations now where he's doing it with no press. Um, Geez, you know, most politicians kill to get as much press as possible. The governor now is saying, no mas, no mas. It was in Buffalo. Buffalo press not allowed. I don't know who tweeted that out. I remember <laughs> coming across them. Jeez. Yeah. yeah the, I mean, it, it's obviously a big deal um, for an insurgent campaign like India's is to get that kind of big national push and recognition. And that's really been, I think, and, and, and she probably would say the same. I think she did, actually, when she came on our show, that that would definitely factor in that sort of uh, national movement and and the national group sort of coalescing um helping support her candidacy is a big part is a big part of her plan to be successful in this race however my only thing that i would caution is don't get complacent because you have that we've already seen with a bit of the debacle shall we say with what happened with the working families party that maybe relying on guidance or you know I don't want to use the word mismanagement. That's not really what I want to say what happened there, but it was definitely an unforced error. And it's the kind of unforced error that might happen when you have a candidate who, again, India's experienced in the political realm, but I think this is her first time actually running as a candidate. But when you have a group that's helping your campaign from the outside, you sort of take a step back and you say, okay, they know what they're doing. And then you don't have... You, then you're not on the ballot in November for the working families line. So I just, I don't want there to be like the sense of, oh, well, the DSA's here. Okay, we're, we're all good. They can handle more or carry the load. Like it's still got to be her people. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're seeing endorsements from like run for something. She got the endorsement from, um, uh, uh, it's like black women for election uh, or something like uh, that effect. Uh, progressive Democrats of New York and stuff like that are picking up and endorsing her. Um, so, she, you know, she's picking up these organizations um, and they certainly can offer financial support. They certainly can offer uh, infrastructure and so lean on some of their expertise. 
But you're right. She can't just rely on them entirely and say, well, maybe they can run my campaign. Um, she has to have her own people and have her own boots on the ground. And as we talked about with her and we've talked about since then, you know, one of the tough things for an insurgent campaign um, typically right now is is that it's not a normal life that anybody's living, so you can't do the door-to-door that you normally would be doing. Um, picking up these national organizations and, like, somebody like DSA or, like, the Working Families Party and the infrastructure that they have and the ability to phone bank and mobilize people is going to be huge for her chance to have the outcome that she wants in June. Yeah, and and again, this is not to dampen the excitement on our campaign in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's a huge deal. Um, it's a huge deal, like, running for mayor and getting any kind of national recognition. Like, when is the last time have we seen, have we seen, really, in the past, like, 20 years, any national look at, really, any Buffalo local race, other than, I guess, sheriff to a certain extent, but... Yeah, I mean, sheriff to a certain extent. I mean, I assume, like, I don't... That, People would pay attention to the district attorney's race if we ever had one. But as far as I know, as, like, as long as I've been voting, I'm 41. I haven't missed an election since I was able to vote. So for the last 23 years, whoever's run for DA has been cross-endorsed, and it's always been no election. Because yeah, you want to talk about criminal justice reform, obviously the DA's office would be huge for it. And people would pay attention to that at the national level, just like they would pay attention to sheriffs for the international level because of the chance for criminal justice reform. But it doesn't happen. So to have national organizations weighing in, you're right, Reed. This is you know the first time in as long as I can remember that it's mattered or that it's happened. Brian, as an elected official, I mean, do you do you view this as like? a harbinger of things to come or is it just like a very weird year and weird time? Like clearly with the campaign of Bernie Sanders, you know, that seems to be the tipping point for a lot of people of small donor and left wing groups really feeling energized to get more involved at these races. Like, is this something where we should expect more of this if, if you had to guess or I, th- I think, I think a lot of it is it just being a weird time. Um, I think it's too soon to say on that. Uh, I know, in my particular experience, I've been able to do really well because of small dollar donors. You know, I, I was able to run a race uh, in 2017 where I took only individual contributions. I, t- I took no corporate checks. I'll never take those. But I didn't have to go for any pack of any kind. You know, it was just if you were a human being, I took your money and I outraised everybody. Um, it's it's doable. Um but there's so many of these organizations on the left, like Move On and, and the DSA and, and all these other groups, that uh, they're trying to push the Democratic Party left, quote-unquote. Uh, and there's so many of those that if they're all working in the same direction on the same campaign and they're not split in a situation, it could be a difference maker. So in this particular race, you got a one-on-one you know, that can be very helpful for India. But if you're going into some of these other places where you got four or five candidates and two or three are carrying a progressive banner or whatever that means, and they're split, you know, who knows what it looks like for that. And that's a chance for, you know, more moderate candidates to, to run up and win these primaries. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, and that's one of the things is going on in the, partic- in the mayor's race this year is there actually are four candidates on the ballot. Mm-hmm. Right. You've, you've got two candidates who aren't really running much of a campaign. 
um, are there just to soak up or are going to just soak up anti Byron Brown votes. Right. Um, and probably, you know, like, you know, they're going to get friends and family votes. And then random people who are going to just say, "Well, I don't like either of the of the my choices." I mean, between India and Byron, that's where ninety percent of the vote goes, at least. Yeah. So, I, and I don't mean to disparage anyone else that's on the ballot, but you know, it's a one-on-one race for the most part. Of course, there's other names there, but right. You know. I I would I would say ninety-five percent of the votes go between those two, um, and that you know you'll have two percent, two percent, and one percent, you know, scattered and. Mm. Not voting. Yeah. Well, moving on to a a, a different a different different a different topic. <laughs> you want me to edit that out? Reed? No, no. Leave it. The people <laughs> right. need to know. Uh, what, friend friend of the pod, Tara Sullivan, recently pointed out to me that I say certain words weird, which all my life, like I've heard it, I've heard others say words weird, but now we're in a recorded medium, and somebody can comment on the things that I say weird. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> I feel just completely like, oh, don't look at me. Apparently, I say the word figure wrong. How do you say it, Ryan? Uh, fi- figure. Jim, how do you say it? Figure. God damn it. Apparently, <laughs> I say figure. Like I don't say figure. But that's not out of the ordinary. A lot of people say figure. I know, but people figure. hearing my voice, yeah, oh, they, they listen. They're like, okay. oh, this guy sounds like a schmuck. <laughs> so it's figure. I got to French it up a little bit. Okay. I, I, I have trouble if, if you're, it makes you feel better saying the word doll, D-O-L-L, and dowel, D-O-W-E-L, as different words. Doll or doll. I, I would probably say that's pretty close to the same. Yeah, towel. Pretty similar. But, however, I wouldn't say towel and toll. No. The same. <laughs> so, there might be something to that. But, anyway, back to the news. Stay on task. Back to the news. We have, I won't say full justice, because I don't think this woman can ever truly get justice uh, for what she's gone through um, over the past, Jesus, what, 15 16 years, but there is a measure of justice, I think, for former um, police officer Carrie O'Horn, who recently, um, it was Judge Dennis Ward, I believe, vacated the, was it vacated the dismissal, Jim, and that she was able to recover her pension, or she will be getting her pension. Oh, and, and back pay. And back pay. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's huge. Um, you want to talk about, you know, criminal justice reform or reforming the police, this is the type of thing that you 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 would hope would be the uh, endorsement. This when somebody says there's good cops out there, and somebody responds with a cab. Well, she's not a cop anymore, but she apparently was a pretty good cop. Well, and her trans her transgression, as it were, is that she intervened to stop a fellow cop from choking out, you know, a black suspect. And it's like, yeah, that's the kind of common sense thing where you hear, or where you like, where you like, yeah. Okay, one cop was trying to prevent another cop from having a situation like a police brutality situation. And really, honestly, if you are the police, you should want this mm-hmm. because look, they all don't. they don't. Lo- well, listen, a loss of life and, you know, absolutely terrible things that have happened to the community aside, even if you're just talking from an optics perspective, like do you want George Floyd and, and all these things like happening again and again and again. Apparently the answer is yes, because it does keep happening three times a day. I mean, right. It, it, you know, I don't want to get into the specifics of any particular situation uh, to the degree. I'll comment on this and in, in a city issue with policing, just put it in a, in a statistical context, you know, 
police spending in the United States is more than almost every military in the world. Not Our military is number one out of all military spending. But U.S. police departments aggregated, added up, I think it's like th- number three, maybe number four. And if you look per these 10 million people killed by police in their own country, United States statistics are completely off the charts. You know, multiples over Canada and Australia, which are the next countries right behind us. We're outliers in all the wrong ways. So we get, there's all these debates that happen online, on the news, at at dinner with, with friends and family about, well, the cop had to do this in this situation. They could honestly mistake a taser. You know, he didn't have his knee on the neck for nine minutes. It was only eight and a half. You put all that aside and you look at the raw numbers, over a thousand civilians a year in the United States are killed by police officers for various reasons and it's statistically off the charts. Even if we got our stats in line with Canada, that would be a huge preservation of life. There's no argument to make that what we're doing in this country is a rational reaction to undesirable or criminal conduct from other people. The statistics are completely off the charts. You look at the numbers alone and you say, we're doing something wrong in the United States. Well, and again, like, it, it always gets framed in terms of, you know, this Derek Chauvin is a bad cop. Or, you know, each individual is a bad cop. But how many good cops are out there? How many Carol Horns are out there who Carol, you know, bravely was able to step forward and like intervene. But how many people like she's held up as the example of what happens when you do that? She's not a liar. She, I'm happy for her. I'm glad she got her, her money back. But like, if that happened today, right, the same thing would happen to her. But, I'm, but what I'm saying is like how many other like good and well-meaning people who get into that profession, because a lot of people are of the opinion or it gets expressed in the discourse. It's something I actually really dislike is that a lot of people who go into policing are somehow bad people, that people who are our cops are, are, you know, whatever inferior people or some, some kind of weird um, impulse towards brutality, which I'm, I'm sure some are, but I actually, I do have a lot of friends. I have family member who are, yeah. are police. I think a lot of it's economic. Well, they pay well. They pay well. And it's one of the few jobs that you have where it can be like your passport to something resembling a middle-class life in America that most jobs really don't offer. Mm-hmm. And so you see, this is what happens to cops who step forward and it's like, oh, okay, you're off the island. You're completely banished. You get no pension. All she did was break up another cop choking out somebody. And it's like, oh, you are you are out of the fraternity, certainly. And there goes your fucking financial livelihood. And just how many people are sitting there who are like, hey, yeah, I can't afford this. What are the odds that she would have lost her pension and gotten fired if she was a white cop who did that? Tough to say. I don't know. I would I would say very low. Changing this stuff, you've got people involved in these organizations, and in any organization, it's hard for any of us to be the person that really bucks the trend. We might vent and complain, but to be the first person to stand up and just act on conscience, it doesn't happen nearly as often as, as we like to think in fairy tale land, you know? So it's it's great to see when those kind of things happen, but... 
You've got to change processes and procedures, and you've got to set numerical goals. You know, back part of the 1994 crime bill was that local police departments had to send statistics to the federal government in terms of police killings. That's never fully been complied with. That was passed in the mid-1990s. And to the point where, you know, I, I, I mentioned this to a right-wing talk show host a couple years ago, and when I mentioned that, he was completely befuddled and he hung up on me. That was the end of the conversation. You know, you, nobody wants to think about that. Well, why aren't these local police departments fully complying with a, this element of the 94 crime bill? Because we don't know how many civilians are being killed by police on an annual basis. The Washington Post has its own count. These other organizations have their own counts. And sure, you, you can rank and range the reasons these killings are happening, where an officer fears for their life or they really are under threat and they have to protect themselves. That does happen, you know? But you look at the raw numbers alone. Can't stress this enough. Complete outlier. I don't care what you think about this issue. A thousand civilians a year plus getting killed by our police is not acceptable. No, it, it's it's totally unacceptable. And, you know, yes, I'm sh- there are situations, I'm sure, where police, you know, rightfully actually fear for their safety but there's a lot of cases where they don't and they just act act as executioner for the most part i mean realist you know they they punish crimes or punish things that are potentially criminal with death even if you're a person so even if you're a person who is of the mindset like hey you know it's just bad cops or somebody with bad training well wouldn't you want the good cops to feel empowered to stop those people like, wouldn't you want somebody, wouldn't you want a Carol Horn on every police force in America? Wouldn't you want 20 of them to step up when they see somebody doing something clearly wrong that could end in death and violence saying, yo, stop, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And the fact that this is the, the standard that gets set for those people tells you everything you need to know about why we don't have those people or seemingly don't have those people stepping forward. Um, and, and just made examples of right, and, and you know, it, oh, it's bad training. Then why aren't people demanding better training for cops? You know, in European countries, training ranges from twelve to twenty-four months for a police officer, and in the United States, it's usually two to three months. I mean, that's just—I mean, it's—it's it's obviously a drastically different amount of time to to train somebody, and you know, like I thought for a while that maybe like one of the answers would be like maybe requiring like master's degrees in social work for cops. But as you guys were talking about earlier, like it is a pathway for people to get to a, some sort of middle-class income. And by putting another barrier to entry, you're just going to prevent individuals from lower class incomes to getting into that middle-class income. So I don't think that's the right answer, but I do think that maybe two years of paid training where it includes essentially a master's in social work, except it's just called your training. I think everything else that you do would be a supplement to reducing the interactions between law enforcement and the public that have to happen. Yes. You, you reduce the interactions, you protect the safety of the officer, you don't have civilians that are afraid. I mean, I, it isn't too often where police officers start an interaction with somebody at a traffic stop where it's like, hey, I just came here to, to, to pat you in the back and say good job. You know, we can all admit that that's usually not the purpose of those. And it, so reducing the interactions without compromising public safety, and it could be done. 
You know, it's like the prison population. About one in four people locked up in a, in a prison or a jail worldwide are locked up in the United States. We could let about, and, and I, I don't mean this, I mean this very literally. We could let about half of those people out and we would be statistically just as safe as we are right now. You look at the decline of crime rates since the early 1990s till now. It's it's consistently gone down year after year after year on average. That's been the downward trajectory. But you have certain politicians that want to scare the hell out of people, and they're not being honest about what's actually happening out there. Yeah, but specifically for Cariel, I mean, it, it's a victory. It's a long, um, bitterly fought victory um, with a, a network of volunteers and friends I know have been pushing a very long time to... Uh, to get her her restitution. So congratulations to her. It's certainly certainly very well earned. And we're staying in the city, guys. Um, so, Jim, why don't you talk to us a little bit about the school zone cameras in the city of Buffalo and the big fight over... Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck them. Fuck, fuck the cameras. No, I mean, uh, so they, the, they put these cameras in in certain zones... So that you, in the city of Buffalo, in the city of Buffalo, and only in the city of Buffalo, by the way, right, right Brian? Oh. Like, there's that doesn't really happen. Doesn't happen but, in Lancaster where I live. We've got the Depew School District. They've got on Transit Road. You've got signs to slow down. There's no cameras there. You go to the Lancaster School District uh, north from Depew Schools on Transit Road. No cameras there. North Tonawanda. There's a school. Uh, I forget the name of the street. I think it's Meadow. Uh, no cameras there. And you can go through the whole list of these other schools. I've got the the slow down signs, they don't have the cameras associated with them. But Buffalo, well, sorry, Jim, but Buffalo in its infinite wisdom decided to you go with uh, school zone cameras on the on the stoplights. On the stoplights. Buffalo in its infinite lobbying from the, the camera companies. Uh, I mean, because the camera companies get $14 per ticket. Wow. Wow. I mean, okay. so. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. I mean, and last I saw, the numbers I saw on Twitter, and maybe these aren't right, that from January to April, there was 100,000 tickets written. So at $14 a pop, that is carry the one $1.4 million. All right. That's not a bad little take off of people going. And the thing is, in the city of, the city of Buffalo, the speed limit's already 30 miles an hour. So... I don't know how much more effective dropping it down to 20 is for as far as safety goes. 30 feels like a pretty safe speed anyways. I would imagine that most of these tickets are being written in front of Canisius on Delaware, where it's four lanes, or McKinley on Elmwood, where it's five lanes, and they don't feel like residential roads. I've actually got a solution that'll, that'll make everyone happy. So instead of giving people tickets, you know how in Darien Lake they have cameras that'll snap your face at certain moments? Well, just sell pictures. Sell pictures when you're driving down the road. Have something pop up and surprise you, and you have something to share with your friends. Yeah, Venezuela, a few years back, um, they borrowed the idea from another country. I forget exactly who. Uh, they used mimes to shame people who were driving <laughs> poorly. So right. if you weren't if you weren't within acceptable traffic practices you know you got a little sad face from a mime or they they did something to mock you and they showed that that changed people's behavior they had some enforcement along with it but it wasn't just the enforcement or just the mimes both of those things together you know led to better driving there i mean like as somebody you've been a proponent of brian like you can engineer roads to be better 
at slowing traffic than the way the roads are engineered right now. I mean, if if Buffalo really cared about speed and traffic safety, there'd be a million fucking cameras on the 33 and the 198. Especially the 198. Especially the 198. Because the 193 to 198 connection over right, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right there, you know, between when you get off the 33 and you're on the 198 up until you get to, like, Delaware Park, where it says it's 30 miles an hour, and they've got those signs that tell you how fast you're going. And I drive that at least once a, day, uh, once a week, and I see, like, 46, 50. Like, there's literally a sign that, uh, by Delaware Park where it just says, slow down if you're going too fast. The 198, in some ways, is actually an example about how changing the design of the road can slow people down. Look at the exits. What do they do to the exits on 198? They change the paint. They change the lining. And they change the curve of it. So you you have to slow down to stay within the lines by design, you know? So it... That's an example of how this works. There's there's research that shows that street trees reduce speeds, you know, narrowing the lanes. There's all sorts of things you can do, building, uh, doing build outs, you know, putting curves on the road. They're called chicanes. You can do that kind of stuff, too. Uh, you can build your way out of this problem. That takes a little bit more money. You won't have the revenue generator. I'm not going to comment on the decision that individuals in the city made about starting this or renting it. That's their business, not mine. I don't want to get involved in the city. But philosophically speaking, you know, why go right to punishment and enforcement when there's something else that you can do to improve the quality of life? I mean, I know in the village of Lancaster, like right downtown in the village, they've got They've got the the bump outs mm-hmm. into the street, and they've got they the actually brick. they got brick on the road. They've got so brick you on the road. The color of the road, and that's right. another way to get the drivers. And they attention. and they actually have physical signs in the middle of the road that say, you know, pedestrians and the crosswalk have the right of way in New York State, and you have to. So you, even though it's it's thirty or thirty five there, like nobody goes more than like fifteen miles an hour through that area. Because, like, you've got signs and you've got changes to the road. And, like, if, if they were really concerned about kids from Canisius getting hit, you know, putting signs up or putting, like, a crosswalk officer on Delaware would probably do a lot more than just putting a camera up at the red light. I mean, now, I, you know, I'm the first person to want to hit a kid from Canisius. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, as somebody who went to... I, I don't endorse that. Uh, like, as, I, I can sit back and be quiet at a lot of this stuff. I don't endorse that particular thing. I, I mean, Go ahead. I mean, I, look, as, as somebody who's, who's more in line with the Franciscans and the Jesuits, you know, we've got a little yeah. bit of a rivalry going. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so funny where, like... Uh, this is like a very like Parks and Rec sounding thing where we're like, oh, arguing about the school zone cameras. And it very it feels very like small ball in some ways. But when we talk about like what it means to live in an area or what it means to have a quality of life in the city, this is one of those things where it's one of those things that informs your view of what that quality of life is. And it, it's just so emblematic of like such bigger issues that... It ends up coming. It ends up coming to your life. It affects you as these stupid fucking school zone cameras, and you get that ticket. And man, like, does that have to feel like a gut punch? It's it's so annoying. It doesn't actually do its stated mission of speeding down or slowing down the speed of traffic, etc. Um, but 
the thing that stri- uh, stands out to me, Jim, is like, yeah, the 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 camera company's getting fourteen dollars a pop. Like that just sounds like a goddamn racket. It makes you not very likely to want to live in the city. If you do live in the city, that might be one of the things that says, hey, I need to get the hell out of the city and move to a suburb. No offense to the suburbs or any of the first ring suburbs and our friends who represent them, but I'm just saying it might be one of the incentives that you have to be like, yeah, I'm not dealing with this bullshit. And it ends up playing out in these small things. It it really, it just makes you say, yeah, the city's not for me. Well, and it's the other thing is that the, the, like, okay, apparently there was a problem with people speeding near schools. That needs to be addressed somehow. I think I agree with Brian that like engineering the roads or, or doing things like putting speed bumps in or, or bump outs, um, things that make people just naturally slow down is probably the way to handle that as opposed to just immediately getting the hammer and going like we're just going to bam, bam, bam and whack them all people. And Canisius College, I love you, baby. Canisius uh, High School, I'm talking about. Or Canisius High School, excuse me. I, I, I love you. Well, I'll be your, I'll be, pay me. All right, Jim, what's your take on the college? Cancel Jim. Oh, Canisius College is even worse. <laughs> Cancel Jim, get mad at him. Re, I'm here, I'll, I'll take a top dollar endorsement. Uh-huh. So, let's move a little bit bigger, boys. We, um, you know, we, we have some more parks and rec level uh, of fighting, not just uh, at the county level, but even extends all the way through New York State. We are talking, of course, about uh, our very own friend. Is he a friend of the pod, Jim? Mark? I, th- I think Mark? so. I, Mark Pontius Pilate Hitler. Pontius Polo. Pontius Polo, yes. County Executive Mark Polencars recently announced that uh, this upcoming fall that you will need a vaccination. I think, it, did he mention specifically the Excelsior Pass? Uh, I don't know if he mentioned specifically the Excelsior Pass, but tweet, maybe least. he did. Yeah. Okay, but um, that you wouldn't, in fact, need to be vaccinated, have proof of vaccination, mm-hmm. to be able to attend Bills games this fall and, and Sabres games, if, God forbid, you'd ever actually want to go see them in person <laughs> nowadays. But although they're getting a little better, whatever. But for the Bills games, you got to get vaccinated. Um, good idea. An unmitigated good idea on my end. I don't, I don't know what you guys think, but... Yeah, I mean, I think Let's it's start a, there. Yeah, I, I think it's a good idea. I mean, obviously, you don't want, you know, 80,000 people to turn into a super spreader event. We, we saw it, how easily events can turn into super spreader events with the Amy Coney Barrett swearing in oh, and how yeah. pretty much every fucking Republican mm-hmm. who was there ended up with COVID. So, like, getting 80,000 people jammed in, you know, those small seats with hardly any room, everybody fucking drunk. Or maybe not everybody. There's like that one person who's there with his kids who's like, please calm down. You know, I'm here with my children. And everybody else is hammered, jumping through tables. And, you know, like, and that's the other thing is like, and I agree with this point that people have brought up. They're like, wait a second. You're willing to eat like hamburgers off of a rusty shovel and take shots out of a bowling ball? <laughs> but you're like, I can't put a vaccine yeah, in my I body. I can't do that. No, it's dangerous. Mind right. control. Well, geez, what can I say? You know what? Honestly, like, this is the kind of thing that will probably get more people vaccinated, really, than I, mo- most things that I can think of. Like, you do sort of need that social pressure where it's like, hey, I can't do stuff unless I'm vaccinated. So somebody who has even no, like, just completely no political, Even I know everything's political, but there are people who just don't consider themselves to be political beings or have any sense of whatever, who might be a little bit scared of the vaccine or scared around the discourse 
uh, around it. But hey, I love going to Bills games. You know, I might I might be okay without having the vaccine stipulation if everyone got the same level of health care as everyone at the Amy Coney Barrett ceremony. Right. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe there'd be a trade off there. But well, I, I don't know I, if that's gonna. Happen I do anyway. like that. Like when he said this, and he said it was for both the Bills and the Sabers, and. All the outcry has been about Bills games. Nobody's been like, well, what about my fucking Sabres games? <laughs> yeah, we can give up a Sabres game or two. <laughs> right, yeah. everybody's, is, everybody's like, what, the Sabres? Uh, well, I don't have to go to that. This is happening with the Bills. What do you think is going to happen with their public schools or their charter schools? The schools. Right. You think that this isn't going to happen in the schools too? Put aside your opinion on it. It's what's going to happen. You're going to have to get a COVID vaccine at some point to send your kid into a public school. It's eventually going to happen. Uh, So I don't know. I mean, we're talking about a vocal minority here that's really upset about this. And the efficacy of the vaccines is relatively sound. Sure, they didn't go perfectly or exactly through the traditional approval process. We fast-tracked it to a certain extent. But, you know, you have... The Johnson & Johnson vaccine was temporarily pulled. The, the, the rate of blood clots is less frequent than the, the birth control pill. You got a lot of folks that take the birth control pill that say, oh, I don't want the COVID vaccine. Like, you're more likely to get blood clots from the medications you're already on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, this thing isn't going to change your DNA. And that's part of the issue here is that we got folks that are listening to absolute nutcases and not fact-checking things, you know. And there. When it comes to this vaccine, it's not a matter of if you're going to be required to have it to do X, Y, or Z activities. It's a matter of when. The, the, the public sentiment, the majority is already there for these things to become the law. So how do you roll it out? How do you get people to buy in? That's what it's all about. Right. Now, with this particular thing with the Bills game, it, we'll see if that actually holds up. But this is going to happen in schools. It's, it's going to happen in, in schools and not just, you know, your public education schools. But, like, you know, look at, like, colleges and universities. They already require, you know, certain medical records, including immunization records, before you can attend those schools. You know, nobody's going to be able to tell, you know, your boys at Canisius College that they can't tell people that they can't have people coming in. Oh, that's what I get. I I got a question for the team here. What's more likely to happen? Your arteries getting clogged by the COVID vaccine or from a stinger sub if you eat that once a week? Ooh. Once a week? Once a week, stinger sub. Your digestive system can handle a stinger (laughs) sub once a week? You're you're unstoppable. What what if instead of a stinger sub, I get get a stinger pizza from Macy's? Oh, oh, well, yeah. Well, okay. Well, let's use that as the barometer. Oh, I I definitely, as I mentioned last week, when I talked about Macy's being the best pizzeria in and I don't know how you could pick that. Uh, <laughs> is is that like if if I just ate nothing but stinger pizzas, I would have like four heart attacks a month. Some wild pizzas on their Instagram. Yeah, uh-huh. they're so good. Yeah, I mean that's that's your that, that's your town Man. Macy's. Just the jewel you of your district, you like, Brian. You look at it like I I I see some of the stuff they're putting out there. I'm like. I'm proud to be from Chicktawaga seeing that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean this in all sincerity. I'm glad that these concoctions are coming from my town. It makes me feel good. I feel represented by the pizzeria. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Keep Chicktawaga weird <laughs> is is what I've been saying. Yeah. Um <laughs> Yeah. Look, I mean props to Poland cars. I think I think it something like this, weirdly as it sounds, helps divorce and normalize. 
like divorce it from the political rhetoric of the day and normalize the vaccine process. It's not a political fight. It's a, I want to do and, and resume an activity that would be normal in my life. So I have to do this. And I think that's, that mindset is going to be the thing that ends up being the most successful and most critical to getting people who are otherwise completely separate from it on board. Yeah, but what what if King Andy says he, you don't have to do it because he doesn't care what Polo says? Yes, what if Governor the, Cuomo... The red button, blue button thing you know, with some of these folks. <laughs> like, uh, I, I agree with them, eh, but I mean, you need herd immunity. So there's some folks that can't get the vaccine. Right. You know, you're talking about some folks that are recovering from cancer and they had their, you know, their immune systems are getting rebooted. Some elderly folks, some folks with other medical issues, pregnancy, you, you, yeah. you don't want to give those folks the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And then you're going into, you know, you need 70, 80 percent of the population to get this thing. So you, you know, you're not going to get some portions because you literally can't do it. You have to get pretty much everybody else. Right. For sure. But. Um, our, our fair governor, Jim, uh, might not oh. agree with um, our county executive. It, it, yeah, he, yeah, give him the whistle. He, he was like, well, you know, the state would have to approve it, approve such a restriction. And I love that Cuomo or Poland cars responded with like, it's a county facility. Um, the county will set the rules. And there was like a passive aggressive thanks at the end of his press <laughs> thanks. release. Thanks. It, uh, it was amazing. Um, I hope this goes on for a long time. I hope they keep fighting each other. Mm -hmm. um, Andrew Cuomo can't help himself. He just can't. It, he has to be literally the control freak on anything, on, on everything, I should say. Even on this fucking insanely common sense thing, Andrew Cuomo has to show once again, actually, I'm, I'm the guy. Does he charge. have any friends at this point? He certainly has. Mayor former, Byron Brown. Well, I mean, is, is, is Byron Brown like going out in public and saying, I support him? No, right? I haven't heard any of that. I, he did actually. Byron Brown did come out, Ryan, a well, couple days ago and say, "I support." Really? <laughs> yeah. oh. Well, I am. The, I am the dumb one on yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Okay, it's true. Okay, but so other that, than Byron Brown, not too many others. Right. Antoine Diggs. Ant Antoine Diggs. <laughs> Antoine Diggs. Yes, Antoine Diggs. No, so so Governor Cuomo, um, you know, has oh. to sort of reassert his dominance uh, in this in this stupid little spat. Which, I mean, again, I think. More likely than not, will probably end up being you have to get some kind of vaccine or maybe proof that you can't get a vaccine or something. I don't really know the logistics of how it'll work out, but I think that's the way things are going to trend. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of businesses, if you were the Pagulas, wouldn't you say, like, hey, you need a fucking vaccination to get into our stadium? I would Come think see our football I, team. I, would, I would think so. Like, the, the last thing you want is to be like, oh, uh, 13,000 people got COVID at a Bills game. Maybe the last thing you yeah. want. Yeah. I mean, I mean, anybody with brains and common sense, you know, would probably think this is a good decision. Which, of course, why Stefan Mahailu is completely against it. All right. Yes. Yes. Stefan, we can't go an episode without talking about him. It just, you know, it's whether it's his good looks or, I mean, really, that's, that's all it is for me. I just can't stop thinking about him. But he came out and he said, um, well, he, he all but called uh, our, our fair county executive, Jim, actual Mark Hitler, like we joke on the show. <laughs> it, it was, what was it, the um, something, he called them dictatorial and, you know, that this is the, the big government deep state 
et cetera, of <laughs> this is the agenda of the deep state of Mark Poland. Right. Uh, that the only reason why they're doing this isn't because they want you to be healthy or that they want other people to be healthy. It's just that they want to. They're using COVID as an excuse to control your life. And because I was like, yes, because what the county executive wants is to minimize the number of people who are buying tickets for a Bills game and paying sales tax on everything that they're buying at the game, including or stuff they're buying for the tailgate. And he wants to depress the economy as much as possible. That's the county executive's job, or actually not his job, but that's this one's oeuvre is that he loves to depress the economy as much as possible. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's just like, it's so ridiculous. We, we've documented many times on our show here of all the times that Stefan Mahailu just has to throw himself in front of anything and everything related to Mark Poland cars, even though he's running against Randy Hoke, and we'll talk about that, of course, but he uh, later in the show. But, I mean, everything. It's, it's pathological with his obsession with Poland cars. And, I mean, this is obviously like, a juicy topic and an issue, but it's so damaging to health and public safety when you have even a shithead of Mahailu's pedigree going out and just saying like, oh, this is like such a dictatorial measure and, you know, big government Mark Poland cars. And it's like, Jesus Christ, we've been through over a year of this now. People in our county are dropping like flies. The numbers are going up that just came out recently is that the numbers in Erie County are, are rising in spite of the vaccination rollout and hospitalization and, and infections. Right? Yes. Yeah. Like the numbers are going up. And so if we want to try to mention that because people are like, Oh, you only look at the hospitalizations. You got to look at this thing. You look at it by any measure. We're not doing, we're not just not doing great. Right it's all now. Going Sorry up. to cut. No, no, off, no. I mean, no, that's a great point. Right. Because we're talking about as if we live in a post COVID world and we're going to have bills games in the stadium again, we're, in the COVID world still. There's no post. There's it, it, We're still here. We're still trying to figure it out, even as people, some people have gotten vaccinated. And so... Stefan got vaccinated. Uh, he sure did. He got both shots, right? I think he got that yeah, first he, one the first day he was able to. Right, yeah. After, which is fine. I got mine back between, you know, around Christmas. I got my first one around Christmas through the fire service, you what, know? But what was crazy is Stefan said when they said, okay, county employees, front-facing county employees are going to be eligible for a vaccine on this day. And he was like... I I don't think that that's fair. I'm going to give my spot in line to this veteran with no legs. He, this is literally what he said. I'm going to give it to this veteran, not with no legs, with like no lower legs, with a W amputee. Okay. All right. Turns out uh, Stefan got his vaccine the first day he was able to get it. And how do we know that? Because we know when he got the second shot, Because we right? know when he got the second one. Yeah, I'm so, glad he got vaccinated. That's good, and it shows you the you, you got a charlatan who's saying one thing in front of the cameras in his press releases on his Twitter, and he believes something else when the workday is over. Right, he's and totally, that's the worst kind of people to deal with. That's even worse than a true believer, man. Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, because we talked about this with uh, last week or the week before, two weeks ago, when they were having the Dingus Day celebration where they were burning masks, but they also encouraged you to sit in your car and socially distance. <laughs> so, like, right. yeah, you know, let's 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 tilt the libs, let's let's let, let's get them by burning masks. But also, could you please stay away from me because COVID's real? Yeah, just the complete undermining of health and public safety, all to what land a shot on Mark Poland cars. Like at the end of the day, and 
again, Brian, your point's well taken that those probably are the worst type of people, the actual charlatans who know better, who live their lives, you know, contrary to everything that they will espouse in public in a forum, and yet do everything they can while they're out in public to just completely undermine the trust and credibility of our institutions. And, you know, we have plenty of fucking criticism for Mark Poland cars. We, he's far from perfect. It's not like we're in love with the guy, but on this particular issue, like, what are you doing? This is a tangible thing that directly imp- impacts people's lives. You, even as your job is in controller, which nobody actually knows what you do other than deal with money, because that's really just what people think the job is. You still have a modicum of like, hey, I'm a public figure. People sort of look up to me. So when you come out and say, well, you know, big government, you know, Mussolini Mark wants to. <laughs> That's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> Let him know. That one's good. Pol- yeah. That beats Pol Pot and cars. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan, hire Mark. me for your communications. Man. <laughs> At least he makes the trains run on time. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. No, listen, listen. That's what they said about Mussolini. Well, I know, I know. Yeah. But um, yeah, those brown shirts in the Department of Health. Yes, uh-huh. yes. No, it, it's just ridiculous. I don't know. I'm so sick of this guy, and I'm. I, I don't know if he carries any fucking water anymore. Like, if anybody actually cares about what Stefan Mahailu has to say, other than us, because we're bottom feeders and we, you know, it, it's, it's good content. It's funny for us. to make fun of him. Oh, it's very funny. Yeah, to make but, fun I because mean, I because I. Cause I, I, I I've got this brain disease where I have to follow people, and, he, and <laughs> I follow him on Instagram, and he what? gets replies, and people are He's like, "He's on Instagram. That's got to be a hell of a feed." <laughs> Macy's <laughs> Pizza, <laughs> Stefan Mahalu. <laughs> How many pictures of him eating a stinger sub do you see a week? <laughs> uh, none, but uh, of him having plain wings and just butter. Oh, <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, and, and, because I've talked about his Instagram feed before on the show, because one of my favorite things he does on the Instagram feed is he takes a picture of his press release and puts it on an Instagram. Mm, okay. Every time he puts a press release out, which is every goddamn day he sends out a press release. But people respond, and they're Respect like... Respect the hustle. I mean... They, they're like, you should run for governor, Stefan. You know? Oh, man. man. Yeah. No, Stefan, he... Uh he does his thing. I know there's a there's a market for everybody. A sucker's born a minute, and I guess Stefan's just gotta. And maybe he should run for governor against Lee Zeldin yeah. in a Republican oh, primary next oh, year. Oh, why the hell not? It'll give us something to talk about. Yeah, do it. Give us something to talk about. Give yeah. us content, yeah. Stefan. I mean, you give us enough already, but yeah, I'll take it. Right. Uh, oh, since we're a little bit actual, I, I know we we're going bigger. Or zooming out, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Volkers thing, guys. Oh, yeah. Being as we're in Kenmore, we're in the the Kenmore compound here, mm-hmm. right around the corner from Volkers, not to give away where we yeah, don't, or anything. Don't, don't let the listeners know. Not going to dox you. Yeah, right. Don't dox me. But Volkers, we, we want it, we keep it, we love it, or are we saying bye-bye? I'm torn. I mean, I have some good memories of being at Volkers, and it has been around for a long time. Yeah. Um. So it is like, you know, an institution on its own, um, to borrow a phrase from Augusta National and the Masters. Um, it's, it's, it, it is a tradition like no other. But, uh, I mean, they've got green jackets there, but you don't want to wear them. <laughs> no, right? yeah, they're not naturally green. They're not naturally green. They, they just got that way. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit of a nostalgia junkie. So whenever I go into some place that's like a time capsule, I wish you just were there forever. 
I love I love the smell. I love the sights, even if it's gross. I don't care. I love going there and bowling and getting their shitty chicken finger pizza and drinking Jenny Lights, Jenny Cream Ale. Me. Yeah, I saw the headline for it, and the first thought that came to my head was, uh, "Did crust punks take over the Buffalo Preservation Board?" <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. You know, we were yeah. talking before this, and like Volkers isn't you know, no no insult to to the owners. It's not exactly pristine, you know. No, no they let the place go and. I like it to stay around. It's not the most attractive building, but I think whatever they put in its place is going to suck too. Well, and that's the thing is like, if it's some shitty mixed use building that looks like every other mixed use building and then just is like a thing that exists that, and it it looks like a college. I I think about like at Notre Dame, they built like these mixed use dorm type buildings off campus, but like on the first floor, you know, they had like Chipotle and, um, you know, some shitty bars or whatever. And then there's just apartments above it. And it's just like that sort of thing just, I, I don't know. I'm just so over it. They're really cheap to build. You put a concrete base, you put five floors above it. It's like the, the, the five the, over ones, right? Is that yeah, what they're called? Yeah, yeah, the five over ones. You know, mm-hmm. it's really cheap to do that kind of stuff. But, you know, there's, I mean, there's a new bowling alley that burns down every year. You know, the one on Bailey went recently. I mean, right. yeah. there are people that still play the game. So the idea of citing the, the Pan Am and, Wanting to have a few of them left. I mean, I can see that side of it, too. Again, like I've said on some of these other local issues that are Buffalo-specific, I'm not a Buffalo guy. So, you know, you work that out amongst yourselves. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, it's just for me, like, generally the way I went to BlackRock, the way I enter BlackRock in in my life has been coming up on wood, yeah. making that left onto... It's like the gateway to BlackRock. Amherst. And yeah, like, the first thing you would see getting ready to go into BlackRock would be Volkers. That neon sign where it's like bowling ball, bowling ball, I knock the pins over. Yes. I love that thing and I never want it to go. That's my position. You know, to me, honestly, my position is like, if they're going to replace it with something cool, like, if they turn that space into like a Masuda Chow's type of, like, restaurant bar... I'm, I would think like that's cool. Like even if it's not a bowling would you, alley, would you still be able to bowl though? Maybe I, I think it should keep. I it. Think, sure. I think the preservation board even made mention either the preservation board or the people who petitioned in saying we don't know what's going to go here in its place and we're worried about that. So that's part of the fear and wanting to keep it. What is going to yeah. be the replacement for it? You know, the owner, the owners uh, themselves have. Uh, it might be an individual owner, but the family said it's time for this place to go. So that's their position, which I found interesting. You know, like, yeah. hey, don't make us, you know, keep this building up. But they're going to separate from that at some point or another. It's just a matter of what happens with it. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? That's our news of the week, gentlemen. And Oh, do we got one more. Oh, news. do we have one oh, more? Oh, we forgot one. Oh. Oh. What, what have I forgotten, John? I think it's, I think it's that my, all my neighbors decided to mow their lawn today <laughs> when we decided to, to record the podcast. Ryan's neighbors so. suck. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I have to apologize for that. What time is it, Ree? Oh, wait a second. Tool time. Um, time for a beer. Now, what time is it, Jim? It's, what time is it? Is it? Wait Nate, a second. It's oh, Nate, Nate, oh, Nate, Nate Watch. watch time. It's Nate oh, watch my time. God. Uh, oh, yes. We couldn't go an episode of the show without at least briefly mentioning Nate McMurray. And, you know, private citizen Nate McMurray, um, not, not an elected official, not currently running for office. However, he is in the market, apparently, for... Um, a stepdad. Well, uh, some kind of a father figure, it sounds like. Yes, Nate McMurray uh, <laughs> tweeted out. Uh, Buffalo Troll tweeted this out like three days ago, so I think that's probably when it happened. I'm not going to go to Nate's feed and try to scroll through his tweets. But uh, Nate McMurray tweeted out, I just read that Mick Jagger is almost the exact same age as my mom. 
I hope they start dating. <laughs> uh, All right. <laughs> What's he hoping to get out of this? I don't know. All right. Is it the prestige of having Mick Jagger as a stepdad, free concert uh, tickets, maybe looking to get in the will? I don't know. Yeah, maybe a signed guitar or something. Yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis is four months older than my mom. I hope they start dating. <laughs> <laughs> Just tweet it, like tweeting about various yeah. celebrities wanting to bone your mom. <laughs> right. yeah. Like, what, that, what an not, alpha not, move. Not necessarily that they want to, but you want them to. Right, right. Is that the new meme? Like, thinking which weird celeb you want to bone your mom? Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, mm. It's relatively... It's relatively harmless compared to some of the other things that have happened on Twitter, you know? Mm-hmm. So. I'm going to go with Johnny Depp. Yeah? I'm going with Johnny you Depp. You want Johnny Depp to date your mom? Wait a second. No, he, he's he's canceled. I forgot. Yeah, he sucks, man. Yeah, he's... Um, I got to take You got to find... You got to think of a better celebrity uh, to, to get together for, with your mom. I, I forgot about, that he sucks. What sucked. about Alec Guinness? Who's Alec Guinness again? Oh, come on. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, uh, uh, well, he might be a little too old. Is he dead? Yeah, he's he, a little dead. He's, well... But we'll get him anyways. We'll get, <laughs> we'll get him. So thank you, Nate, for, for sparking yeah. this wonderful discussion about who we'd want to have date our parents, <laughs> what celebrities we'd want to, to get with our moms. Um, and on that note, now, uh, that that is officially the that, news of it. the week. And now, Brian, we, we brought you on. We'd love to talk to you about anything, because you're a lot of fun. But... We're talking about the primaries, man. We're um, we're in full gear. We're we're really swinging in. It's starting to feel like summertime. We this is a perfect little representation of of life here in Buffalo, in Western New York, where it went from being really gray and shitty while we were sitting here at the beginning of this recording to now it's gorgeous. Yeah, beautiful. The sun is shining. This is a perfect Buffalo day. The mowers are mowing. The mowers are mowing, and the primaries. The primaries are coming. They're happening. <laughs> so where do we start? <coughs> what are we thinking? What's, uh, what's the big one that uh, is on your minds, boys? Want to talk about the uh, sheriff race a little bit? Uh, I, you know, no, let's start in the South Towns. Oh, said nobody ever. <laughs> let's start in the South Towns. Just kidding, South Towns. I mean, well, no, it, uh, let's start with Hamburg. They've got a primary for town supervisor on the Democratic line. Ah, Yes. Right, it's uh, Reynolds versus Hoke. Yeah, Reynolds versus Hoke in, in Hamburg. Um, Reynolds has wanted to run for office, or has run for office. Wanted to run. He was a county legislator in the past. Yeah, um, so he's got some name recognition. You yes, know? and he's got a he's got a built in base to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, challenging Randy Hoke for the opportunity to run against our boy and yours, dear listener, Stefan Mahilu for counties uh, for. Town supervisor out there in Hamburg. Um, what do you think? Uh, I mean, Ray, if you're going to give me odds on who's going to win that race, what what are your betting odds? Let's see. Is there what's what's London setting the line at? Is, is there a hoax running in Hamburg? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. I'm, put all my money on hoax, please. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I, I tend I, t- I tend to be the same. Like, put it all on red. Put it all on hoax. Yeah, I mean, it, it helps that Randy Hoke is very personable. He's he's very friendly. He's very amiable. You know, he's got a lot of positive things going for him. He's well qualified. He's intelligent. You know, he, he's well intended too. I mean, he's the well more inten- I've gotten yeah. to know the guy, I generally appreciate him. You know, 
you don't have to agree with everybody on every single issue. And, and God knows that someone like me, the way I look at the world, uh, I need to find my friends where I can find them, you know? So uh, I, I've liked what I've seen so far, you know? Yeah, and not for nothing, too. I mean, put, put aside any... Because, uh, dear listener, you, you might not be so enthralled in... in uh, Western New York or South Town politics, and you might be concerned that oh, they're throwing around something that sounds like nepotism, like this guy Hoke, because his last name is Hoke, is going to win in Hamburg, which is actually probably true. But in in a time where you know his uh, likely opponent in the general election will be none other than Stefan Mahailu, uh, it's incumbent upon the folks out in Hamburg to really put their best foot forward and uh, you know try to win. Otherwise, we will have. Stefan had the bully pit of Hamburg town supervisor. They got an interesting situation in the primary too. They've got um, three Democrats on the ballot, and you know they've endorsed the two. Uh, one of the two that was endorsed, I think she's actually registered in the Working Families Party, so that's an interesting situation there. The other Democrat uh, has got you know support from Working Families and is going to be on the conservative line, seeking that ballot line in the general. Um, you got Bob Mahoney, you know, that works with SCIU. He's going to be vying for the conservative nomination there, and he's on the Democratic line. It's just there's a lot of crossover stuff going on. So even for the council seats out there, there's some competition mm-hmm. on the primary side. Yeah, no, I mean, Hamburg's going to be a very interesting town this year for the elections for primary and then uh, following through into November with the general election. Uh, you know, not something I say very often that Hamburg can be very interesting, but it's going to be very interesting this year. The endorsements mean a lot. I mean, it just mm-hmm. the, the way things have gone in the last 10, 15 years. You know, there was a time when challengers can, can pull off wins in these primaries. It's a weird year. I just don't see too much of that happening. I think Evans will going to be the exception there. Uh, Mike Schraft it wasn't endorsed by his town Democrats, and he's got a lot of friends out there, and he knows election law. He knows how to get votes. He knows how to raise money. You know, he knows how to get in the mail. He's got issues to run on, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's going to do real well. I think he's going to take one of those two seats. Yeah, I I, <clears throat> I would agree. Um, we got anything else on the, any other big race out in the South Towns, Jim? Nothing that I'm, I'm really sorry, paying wait, attention. There's more than two seats. They're upsizing. I forgot about that. Ah. And Orchard Park, you know. Oh, They're adding two right. council members. You can't have a three-member board because you have any two of them that's together. Right. you got a quorum. you got to talk through your town attorney, you know. What a thought, man. We'll, we'll do three-member boards. It'd be great. Wasn't. <laughs> mm. West Seneca upsized, too, recently, by the mm-hmm. way. Mm. Uh, I guess Hamburg is where the majority of my focus is going on this year in the South Towns. Um uh, I mean, obviously, the supervisor's race is the headliner. Um, and then, you know, the council race I'll be paying attention to as well. Sure. I have some friends who live in Hamburg who um, are going to be getting involved for maybe the first time in their lives in uh, races, whether that's um, actively campaigning for candidates or getting just yard signs and, and signing up Um I have a couple of friends who have decided that, you know, now is the time to get off the sidelines and get involved. Supervisor is a hard job. Yeah. You actually got to go to work every day, for one. You have to answer (laughs) phone calls. You got to answer emails. You got to trust other people. You can't throw them under the bus in your press releases, you know. You got to cooperate with people that have been there for a long time before you showed up. And when you're gone, they'll still be there, you know. And you got to work together for the sake of the town, you know. You're going to inherit some things you don't like. You got to make the best of those. Change what you could. I mean, 
I don't I don't see the Republican candidate in that race being able to cope with any of that at all. No. Yeah, yeah that sounds like the least Stefan Mihailu thing. Like everything you just described sounds like the antithesis of uh Stefan Mihailu and, and what he'd bring to the table for that race. Um was was Hamburg was it a was it a Trump did they vote Trump out there? Yeah, they voted for Trump in Hamburg, but it was close. Yeah. Um I mean it <sighs> Hamburg's a weird town. It's so big. It's so enormous um, geographically, um, and you know it is relatively densely populated in the village. Although not real densely populated because they don't have a lot of like high density uh, housing. Um, it's you know it's neighbors live close to each other, but it's mostly single family housing in the village. Um, but then like you know the southern and Eastern parts of Hamburg are just sparsely populated. Um, so it's a strange little town where it's it's a combination of like, you know, a pseudo first ring suburb and then like exurb. It could also be a case too where it's one of those situations where, yeah, we can have Trump, uh, well, we could vote for Trump, for Trump on, on the national level, but we don't want that shit at home. <laughs> like we don't want, we, we you know, in, in our actual community where we live, we don't want to deal with that bullshit constantly. Uh, which I, you know, I, don't don't blame them for wanting not wanting to deal with uh, Stefan Mihailu type uh, in their district. So hopefully they make a, make a good choice there. So we're on to the phase of the primary where you're starting to see completely fluff and bullshit stories in the Buffalo News about the candidates, specifically the Democratic candidates. Um, there is an, a. a a story in today's Buffalo News at the front page of the the region section, which you know I would me just just some guy would think would be reserved for actual relevant stories about things that happened in the region. Instead, we get this: uh, the story, the title, the headline is "Gould Mum When Aggressor in Fight Sought to Be a Cop," which is just like one of the most tortured sounding headlines. That sounds awful. Who the fuck do they have edit the Buffalo News anymore? Margaret Sullivan would be weeping somewhere if she she actually read this rag anymore. Um, but uh, Sheriff Candidate Brian J. Gould, uh, the Assistant Police Chief in Cheektowaga, who wants to be the next Erie County Sheriff, supervised a half dozen cops who broke up a fight between feuding neighbors one summer night in 2009. A man had sworn at a woman across the street, and her son chased after, after him. When it was over, Sean Trapper, 22, was charged with assault, and a man 30 years older uh, was bleeding from an eye. The following year, without objection from then-Sergeant Gould, the Cheektowaga Police Department hired Trapper as an officer. Oh, but Trapper's story doesn't end there. While Trapper's supporters say his police career features examples of valor, the police chief Police chief wanted Trapper fired last year because he punched and tackled the supervisor at an off-duty gathering, inflicting a cheap, uh, a cheap, I can't talk today, a chipped tooth, a black eye, and a cut needing stitches. An arbitrator deemed termination too harsh and put Trapper back in the job. So this wouldn't even be like good gossip. Like he was, he was uh, there while other guys broke up a fight. And then, like, the guy who was involved in the fight became a cop one day and then <laughs> fought his boss, didn't get fired. I, the one job in America where I think that this would be the case is that you get into a fist fight with your boss and you don't get fired. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Just bullshit, fluff, garbage story. But just to 
correct the the article there as far as the facts with the trapper situation. Yeah, that stuff is pretty accurate, and you can see that in the public record and and with the arbitrator and all that. But who does the hiring? Sergeant Gould at the time, then Sergeant Gould doesn't do the hiring. You know, you got a civil service list. The town boards and the city councils actually make the hiring decisions for officers. They're the ultimate deciders there. But the police departments make the recommendations, and most of the time, you know. The, the the legislative branch of government's going to uh, approve their recommendations unless they get a very strong reason not to, you know? I, I just don't know what editor at the Buffalo News, like, with even half a brain. I Again, I know it's in Section E, but this is the section that people actually read when you read stuff that, you know, you care about what happens in the region. And, again, us, us bottom feeders. And how here. do people read that? They look at the big headline. They look at the picture. Old mom went aggressor and fight. <laughs> yep. And then they go to the next article because that's how they read political mail too. You know, 80, 90% of people are like, oh, look at the glossy picture. Look at the big headline. Is there anything else supposed to catch my eye? They don't need, read the little print. Most people aren't going to read the actual article. Let's see that. The shit might as well be Laura Mipsum. Like, nobody's actually going to read this. Nobody cares. It's so boring that you want to die. But it just has this picture of Brian Gould who looks kind of... Like deer in the headlights, like, Ooh. and you know, apparently he he was not drawn to action when this guy got into a fight or something, and then he became a cop. Hey, what he should have done is, if he was any kind of person, is anybody who's ever been involved in any altercation around him, he prevented them from taking any civil service exam ever. Yes. Yes, that, he just he just trailed them for the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think I think people need to ask him that t- that tough question. Why hasn't he done that? Right, right. Why haven't you prevented more people from taking civil service exams? Yeah. Anyway, back to the topic. And, and don't let anybody tell you you guys aren't measured about these issues. This is a really reasonable analysis of this particular situation. <laughs> you know, if people listen to the beginning of the podcast and be like, these guys are anti-cop. No, no, it's it just, you know, you take it on an issue-by-issue basis. Yeah. That's a very fair take on it. I mean, the deer in the headlights thing. I don't know about that, but you can you can get any you can look you can get a deer in a headlight shot for me depending on where you get the freeze frame, but that's what they put in the paper. Well, that's, and know? that's what I'm saying, Brian. Right? Like they took this like clearly yeah. kind of goofy looking picture because you could do that with anybody, any right, public right. figure. You know, like it, it's clearly I don't want to say like a hit article or a smear article. It's just like it's meant to not be flattering, and it's positioned in a place in the paper to let you know, hey, this guy's this guy stinks. You know, that's really the messaging, the signaling you get from it. Yes. It's um, basically a Rod- Rodney Dangerfield surprise face. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. But that, that's what it is. But to circle it. He gets it, no respect. He gets no respect. But to circle it back to the, the subject matter at hand, the primaries, um, Brian Gould, presumptive Democratic nominee at this point. Well, I mean, he does have the Kim Beattie he does. primary. He does. And um, I know and Miles Carter got ballot access, too. And Miles Carter got he, ballot access. He survived access his challenge. Yep. Um, uh, you know, with Kim Beatty, uh, you know, Betty Jean Grant is organizing a lot of that. Don't underestimate Betty Jean Grant if, if Tim Kennedy can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. And, you know, don't underestimate if if there is a big turnout in the city for the primary for the mayor's race, that probably doesn't bode as well for Gould as it would for Kim Beatty. It's true. Yeah, I know. I know you're you're quite bullish on um, Beatty's candidacy, Jim. I, I think uh, th- that I I feel the same way, but I also feel like the the Democratic Party here in Erie County has 
very much made the decision to back Gould. And I, I know, you know, we're not going to underestimate Betty Jean Grant or, or Kim Beatty or Miles Carter for that matter. Mm-hmm. Like everybody involved, very viable and, and very, um, very capable of winning this race, even even when Brian Gould is seen as like the you know the standard bearer for the Democratic Party in this race. But I, I think it's going to be something where the Democrats are they're focused in on Gould being the candidate, and it it kind of perplexes me why honestly. Like he this this terrible article aside, um, which is a nonsense nothing issue, but. The point is, like, he doesn't inspire anything from anybody clearly critical already of the left wing of the party. He had come out and said, you know, what, working families is trash or something? I don't know if he said they were trash, but he said he wouldn't be seeking their endorsement. Sure. that's Yeah, that's what happened there. Wouldn't be seeking the endorsement, which, you know. But as far as, you know, who's who's the favorite in that race, I mean, it goes back to the endorsed candidates in recent years doing real well that— you know, you, you got to get a little bit of TV time, radio time. You got to get in the mailboxes. And if you've got the party's endorsement, that's a lot easier to do. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's Gould's race to lose from an objective analysis point of view, you know. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting when we get to that general for the sheriff's race where, like, it, it's going to be, I'm assuming at this point we're, we're locking in Karen Healy case. I know, I know she has a, a strong primary on her end. Right, I mean, she's got, she's, I mean, uh, that's another three-way primary. You know, you've got Garcia, John Garcia, who right. has a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And then you've got wild card Stephen Falano. Um, who, who, who knows what he, you know. Uh, <laughs> right, I mean, well. Karen Healy Case is trying to line herself up as, like, the right-wing candidate. Yeah, She's not going to out-right-wing Stephen Falano. That's not going to happen. Garcia seems to be trying to set himself up for like the compassionate, conservative, moderate type of lane for the race. I don't know that he wants five percent of the vote. I I don't know that that wins the primary. (laughs) I'm sorry, it just it's changed. The Republican Party has changed. You know, you had Pat Burke on recently, and he his analysis of that with with the Chris Jacobs uh, example. That's that's legit. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, like I said, I I think that's a good strategy for the general election, but he's not the candidate yet. He's got to win the primary, and I don't think that's a winning for a Republican primary. I don't think going towards the center is the winning way to win the and Republican th- primary. There's another candidate that's uh, talking about independent nominating petitions. Just wants a whole separate line, right? Was it Denoto was the name? Yeah, yeah. I don't, who knows what's going to happen with that? I mean, it's it's a weird year, you know. A little easier to qualify. Maybe he'll get on. Yeah, I mean. Who's to say with that race? I still believe that it's going to be Healy Case, um, in large part just because as as rightward shifted as a lot of Republican politics have gone, somebody like Stephen Filano, I think, I think, God help me, I think still, his brand of politics is still beyond the pale. That it's just a step too far. We might be rapidly approaching where that's not the case. Um but I think it's just a hair, like it just seems it's just a hair too irresponsible to have him as the actual sheriff. It's a lot but, about resources. It's all it, about resources. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, to your point, it, you know, Healy Case being the endorsed Republican and the endorsed conservative, you know, having those endorsements matters a lot. That, 
Whoa. Whoa. Oh, that, was a PT, that was a PT cruiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they really souped that bad boy up. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> I just think they lost it. their muffler somewhere. That's, yeah, it's running there. a little rich, I yeah. think. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, having those endorsements, having the backing of those parties, and that me and everything that comes with that, right? That you have that party infrastructure and that you have those volunteers, you know, like, you know, if Karen Healy case was going to be close to not qualifying for petitions, I mean, I, she was going to qualify no problem, but were she close, every fucking Republican who works at the board of elections would have been out collecting petitions that last week. That's just what happens because she had the party endorsement, anything that would have been close, they were going to carry and make sure it got taken care of. And, you know, if Garcia was close, he wasn't going to get the Board of Elections to go out and get petitions for him. Yeah. I don't know. I I just, um, I think Healy Case is going to win that race. I think Gould is going to win his race. Prove me wrong. Prove me wrong, um, you know, Kim Beatty. I'd love to see it. But, um, and, and when I think about what that general election looks like, I think Brian Gould just gets ran over. It'll be a tough year for Democrats. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? You know, strange things happen. Mm-hmm. It's a weird year. Uh, so let's. speaking of county-wide candidates, the Democrats have a primary for county controller. Ah, controller. Mm-hmm. Who do we got on the ballot, Jim? You, you've got uh, former county legislator and your boy at Canisius College, Professor Kevin Hardwick, <laughs> versus businessman Hormos Mansouri. So I, I must admit, I, I know a fair amount about Kevin Hardwick. I do not know much about the other gentleman. Hormoz was actually uh, um, a minority stake owner in the Sabres when Galasano owned the Sabres. Um, oh, a simpler time. A simpler time. Um, he, he's made his money, if I remember correctly, in like medical device um not patents and inventions. Not necessarily that he invented things, although maybe he has. Um, but he made money off of patenting things and then and then collecting the, the um, royalties. Um, I've met Hormoz a couple of times. I actually sat in his box at a Sabres game one time. Wow, full, di- full disclosure, listener. Oh, rub- rubbing <laughs> elbows with a big shot, big Jim. Um, fat cats. Fat cat. That's that's me. <laughs> Emphasis on the fat. <laughs> Less on the meow. Oh well. Depends Hormos. on the day. Hormos. Um. I mean, I I think Hardwick wins that again. He's the endorsed candidate. He's got the um, support of the party behind him. Um. But you know, Hormos has a bunch of money and can certainly make that interesting. Now, let me ask because I'm always fascinated when you have situations like this pop up. Um, where a rich guy just kind of jumps into a race and seemingly against a candidate who he probably has no business, um, you know, even winning against somebody like Kevin Hardwick's cachet. What, what's the point of this? Like, who is this campaign for? Is it a vanity campaign, do you think? Or do you think there's some, you know, like, uh, yeah, civic-minded duty, yada, yada. Like, yeah, I'm a rich I, guy, I can do it. Or Lewis has talked about running for office multiple times before. This seems like the first time he's actually pulled the trigger and done it. Right. I mean, he's been talking about running for office for, like, 25 years. Um, so, um, I think it's just that he finally saw a, an opportunity where he's like, well, Hardwick doesn't have a bunch of money. Neither does Lynn Dixon. It's an open seat because there's no incumbent running. Um, 
why not now? I don't I don't think that this is particularly a middle finger to Jeremy Zellner and ECDC. I don't think that this is, you know, purely vanity. I think he thinks that like this may be his best chance to win um, a seat and he's been interested in running for office for a very long time. I mean, you look at the analysis from his point of view with the resources he has. I mean, people have done crazier things, yeah. you know. Right, and you know, if if I'm on the outside looking in, if I or if I'm hormones and I'm looking at ECDC and what their priorities seem to be, they seem to be prioritizing the sheriff's race over the controller's race. It's true. So maybe this is a chance for me to strike. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I would have said I I would have thought that decision might have been better served being made a few months earlier um it seems a little late in the game to make that decision even everything you said uh being considered i, I still I, I don't i don't know uh, this wouldn't be the race that i chose to Hard- run in if yeah. i were hardwick's name recognition is relatively solid i mean it's yeah. gonna, doing really well in first ring suburbs there are a lot of democrats that listen to wben and the moment they go to vote you know they say i remember that name they they're going to hear his voice when they read his name fill in the bubble mm-hmm. if they're voting in the Democratic primary, you know. Uh, so it all depends. You know, city turnout could help him. It depends, you know, the, if he actually gets in the mailboxes or, or cuts a TV ad or something, you know. But yeah. Kev, Kevin seems to be doing all the right things right now with the resources that he's got. Right, and, you know, and he's picking up the right endorsements. He's picking up, you know, I think, you know, he – it seems like once a week he's picking up another union endorsement. Yep, and with those types of endorsements that he's getting from those unions, he's cutting into those kind of WBN Democratic listeners that might go for him. You know, mm-hmm. that, that, that he's, he's doubling down on them, yeah. making sure they'll show up for him. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty safely Kevin Hardwick's, but Hormos, surprise us, shock the world. What other race we got next, Jim? I mean, do we want to talk about Mayor? Well... We talked a bunch about mayor at the top of the show. Let's let's talk about mayor, but let's sort of look at it more from, I guess, Byron Brown's perspective. We talked a lot about India. Let's let's be fair to our beloved mayor. Um, is there any chance that he's looking at less than sixty percent of the vote? Sure. I mean, I mean, there's going. There's probably like. 30% of the people who are always going to vote against him. I I don't I he's been in in office enough terms now that enough people are going to be pissed off for one reason or another that he's probably got like his his ceiling is probably 70% cuz he's probably got a floor of 30% voting against him. So with three candidates out there to pick up votes it wouldn't be surprising to me if, if he picked up like 55, 56% of the vote, but the other 44 was split between the other three. And though there was talk about him not having as much money, if the investigative post was covering this, as much money as he usually does, but at this point, he doesn't need it. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just so much free media, earned media, you know, that. He doesn't need to expend that. I mean, everybody knows who he is at this point. So he's built the name recognition, and he's got his brand. Everybody knows who he is. They're gonna, they know exactly who he is when they look on the ballot. So I don't think that matters to the same extent this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's it's really weird when you examine like Byron Brown's history as a political figure and you try to like parse out like what his future could be. That's something I think a lot of political observers have been trying trying to do ever since he was actually elected mayor. Like what where is this going for Byron Brown? Is he just going to be like the mayor of Buffalo for the entirety of his political career? Which is fascinating because I think I don't think it's unfair to Byron Brown to say that like the majority of his pol- political career, it seemed that he was upwardly mobile as a political figure, moving from being that state senator, um, you know, coming to Buffalo, being the first African American mayor of Buffalo, and having deep ties to the party. Obviously, with Andrew Cuomo, it seemed like he was destined for something bigger than this. It's always felt like Byron Brown, whether this is fair or not, but it's always felt like he's had his eye towards maybe the next thing and he's been very guarded he's very very cautious as a political figure he's very safe he he's very controlled with everything he says and he does which belies an attitude to me of somebody who's thinking about their career and yet as we're what 15 16 years into the tenure of byron brown he's here like he he's here and he's showing no signs that he's going away this Again, we've talked about on this show and and what Brian referred to, investigative post reporting that Byron Brown's fundraising is certainly at, you know, I'd say a relative low for him. And yet, and yet he's in the race. He's still going to run and probably going to win. So it's just, it's fascinating to put this sort of tenure uh, of Byron Brown in its perspective, where I think... A lot of people have the opinion of him, again, whether it's fair or not, but he he's always at every, he's got a podium for every news event. He's always there. He He's putting his face on stuff. He'd love to have you believe that he is associated with the, the rebirth or, you know, the regrowth of Buffalo. Um, and yet, like, it almost feels like, like, what is one thing you can point to that truly Byron Brown that that he's done or even the good feelings that he associates with look people didn't love tony masiello but they generally have good enough feelings about him um he seemed like personable and warm enough people to this day in south buffalo will still talk about how much they love jimmy griffin perhaps you know for ulterior ulterior motives who knows but i I don't I, i just have a hard time seeing like when we look at the legacy of Byron Brown, like where is the where is the love going to come from, Jim? I, I'm hearing in in your voice here that you didn't get a gift card. No, or a gift <laughs> Brian, certificate. no, I didn't get a gift certificate. <laughs> and we asked for one too, right? No. Uh, yeah, I th- I think the thing with like you know is Byron's going to be remembered as maybe the longest serving mayor that the city's ever had, um, without ever being really loved, without ever being really uh, people enamored with him. Um, but I think he'll be remembered positively. I mean, I, you know, I think of like you know a lot of people from like the suburbs look at him and go, "Well, the city's doing better than it used to. He must be doing something right." I think part of the reason why he he's been trying to be upwardly mobile, and he hasn't is every time there's a rumor that he's up for lieutenant governor or he's up for this or he's up for that coming out, he gets rat fucked by the Buffalo News and they go, "Oh, the FBI is investigating him." Every single time. It comes out, or, oh, the FBI is investigating City Hall just so that he can never get that position. And so he, he, it just scares away everybody and becomes radioactive for a couple of months. Realistically, there's no good reason why he couldn't be lieutenant governor over Kathy Hochul if he wanted somebody from upstate. 
Kind of surprising that he, I mean, other than what you alluded to, kind of surprising that he that didn't happen for him. Say what you want about Kathy Hochul, good or bad. You know, It's not like she was going to pick up tons of votes in Western New York that the mayor didn't. I mean, she did lose a congressional race. The mayor is undefeated in races that he's run. Sure is. He sure is. Yeah. I mean, and again, we say all of this as big fans and supporters and believers in India Walton. Um, and, and again, prove me wrong. I, I, I am bullish personally on India's campaign, um, as we've talked about plenty of times on the show. But, you know, you got to face facts. you got to face reality that Byron Brown is the long-tenured mayor. And, um, I, Brian, you mentioned something that I didn't even really even think about up until now, that it might actually just been a strategy for him to not raise funds because he has such a high name recognition that he didn't need it that they diverted those funds other places, um, which, you know, is a little depressing to think about if you're a fan of the Indy Walton campaign, but who knows? So that's the mayor's race. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Is there, to be fair to the other two candidates, by the way, have they done anything or, or really been pushing in any way? I saw a Facebook ad for LaCandace Durham. It looked like it was written by the mayor's office, though, <laughs> or City Hall. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Just it, it, the tone of it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I was told that she she had a connection with City Hall or worked. Yeah, worked. I believe she works at City Hall. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what that relationship looks like. If she's just there to siphon votes or not, or right. I, I mean, gather yeah, it doesn't. I'm not seeing a campaign theme there that you're seeing from India or even from Scott Wilson. You know, right. where he, he's talking about some specific things and. Not the word. He's not running a bad campaign in terms of the issues. It's just you got to get out there and get some name recognition. He's going to have a, a real hard time with that. Yeah, he he's certainly going to have. He's certainly an underdog. And and not not to pat ourselves on the back too much here in Buffalo, as clearly you know we we suffer from many um, many racial injustices here in Western New York and, and Buffalo specifically. Uh, so not to say oh we're doing so great now, but we do have Buffalo's. You know, first black mayor in a primary, primarily against potentially Buffalo's first black woman mayor. First woman. First woman. First also happened to be first black woman. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, again, I'm in no way, shape, or form saying, wow, look how far we're, we're doing so great. But it is it is something to note. You know, it's, well, with it's the, a big step. The, the big thing about it is that, you know, as, as you talked about, you know, months ago when it looked like it was going to be India versus Byron Brown, is that in the past— this would have been the time when some white person from South Buffalo jumped in and said, all right, you know, purely on racial lines, they'll split the vote and I'll win. And that didn't happen this time. You know, and part of that's because when well, they're running out of people from South Buffalo to run, because you know, over the course of the mayor's terms, Every time he's been up for a re-election or for election, somebody from South Buffalo is running. They're just running out of people. Um, and certainly some of the people in South Buffalo, some of the politicians in South Buffalo, just don't have the stomach or the interest in running for that position this time around. Um, but um, regardless, you, you would have thought, based off of the past, somebody would have jumped in and said, yes, I'm definitely doing this. And you know, Scott Wilson is from South Buffalo, if, if I'm correct. Yes. I believe so, yes. Um, but he doesn't have the name recognition or cachet, and, or he doesn't have the backing of um, 
some of the organizations that you would have down in South Buffalo that go in South or what have you um, that might push a, a candidate towards victory? Yeah, and I think part of that is a lot of the longstanding animus of South Buffalo groups to Byron Brown's office has maybe been um, you know, resolved in some ways, or just the folks in South Buffalo who have long had a distaste for Byron Brown's administration are just not putting up the same kind of fight or that he's, you know, quelled those grudges. Not, not quite sure, but it is, it is weird not to see the South Buffalo candidate, um, which, you know, again, as we've noted historically, like whether it's Kevin Helfer or Mickey Kearns, um, they don't exist, not this time around. And Mm -hmm. this would be the, the prime time to see it happen. So we, you know, we we haven't necessarily come very far, but we're just in a different place, I think, mm-hmm. than maybe even 10 years ago. It's a weird time. It's a very weird time. We got any other primaries, Jim? Oh, Brian, what races are you paying attention to? I mean, my interest in the city, uh, the mayor's race, and we covered Hamburg. That's the two biggies. I want to make sure uh, I want to see Shraft, Shraft win in Evans. That's yeah. about it. I mean, there's some other there's some other primaries out there. Those are the biggies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much you know where I'm at as far as things that I'm paying attention to this year um, that have, or that I, I have highlighted and said you know I you know anything that comes out in the news uh, or online I want to read about those particular races. I mean, with the county ledge, you don't have any primaries there at all. I mean, you've got the first district where there's a Democratic primary, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think Howard Johnson takes that one in the three-day yeah, race. I think Howard Johnson. They takes Sam Herbert and Dominique Calhoun are the opposition there, right. and you know Johnson's going to get at least sixty percent of the vote, in my personal opinion. There, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the disappointing things that have happened is uh, the eighth ledge district that covers part of Chittawaga, Lancaster, Alden. The Democrats didn't even field the candidate, which is. Almost criminal. You look at the, the – I actually got the win margins because I, I, I brought a stack of crap here with me. I got the win margins from uh, some of the competitive races two years ago. And Vinyl in the 5th District, there was a there was a 54-46. You had a 55-45 in the 4th Ledge District where um, Hardwick won. 48-52 in the 8th. Russo only lost by a couple points. He was the Democrat that was defeated by Todaro. Todaro was left without an opponent this time. That was that's a seat that really could have fought for, and mm-hmm. why there's not a Democrat on the ballot there, and, and there's some stuff that happened behind the scenes, but that's beyond me why we left that. I mean, if we lose the county ledge, we be in the Democratic Party, which honestly is unlikely right now, unless the sheriff's race and the comptroller's race go horribly wrong and drag down these folks too. Um, if the Republicans can pick up the ledge, part of that is, is, is the stupidity of the county Democrats not putting a name on the ballot in the 8th and, and making an attempt to fight for that seat. It, it, making an attempt to fight for that seat or at least diverting Republican resources. Yeah, and that did not happen, That's, you know? That has been the, uh, uh, the, uh, the flip district, realistically, for the last, like, 20 years. And may, maybe it's a confidence that the Dems can hold these other seats. And you look at the, the apportionments and the registration, and it's... I mean, I see a situation where nothing changes after Election Day with the the 7-4 majority the Dems have. But you should have fought for that seat, Mm -hmm. you know? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, exactly. 
Yeah, that's classic uh, Erie County Democrats, by the way, not running a candidate in a seat they could easily win. And it wasn't for a lack of trying. There were some efforts to, to recruit candidates there just to materialize. And you didn't have enough of the stakeholders that actually wanted to see that happen. That was part of the problem. And, and that's for a different day, a different conversation, mm-hmm. you know. Indeed, indeed. And and don't worry, nerds, by the way, in case you're wondering, uh, as we talk about this, we will go into the financials when they come out, mm-hmm. the July filings, okay? We're going to, when that happens... Well, that's- We're going to burn those vegetables. Before the July filings come out, you've got the uh, 30-day pre-primary filings that come out in May Mm -hmm. because you got the June primary. That's right. All right, nerds, it's your day. You are going to be even more happy when we go through those. Wait wait till May and we we do the the 30-day pre-primary. I want to give you noogies already. All right? I just want to let you know, you big dorks, we're going to do it. We do it for you. We love you. Mm-hmm. It's it's affectionate. It's we we give you the stuff that you want, which is campaign filing news. <laughs> so, I <laughs> we have to play to our crowd. You know, we got to play the hits. Can't wait. I can't. It is actually fun. It's it's interesting for for what some might term not me, but what some might term is nerd shit. It's actually very interesting. Um, but I want to pivot and end on something that uh, Brian had brought to the table and talked to us before we began recording today um, something that's very fascinating and um, one of those things again m- much like the school zone cameras where it has an impact on your day-to-day life it's the things that we we I don't want to say take for granted but it's just it's your quality of life and how you as a citizen of a place of a city of a town where you live how government and how industry impacts your life and at the end of the day what that looks like and how that affects how you live um brian can you talk to us a little bit about it's it's in relation to the waste management right the with, with sanitation services. with the sanitation so, services excuse me yeah with uh in the town of chitawaga we the town owns its garbage trucks we directly employ the folks that are picking up garbage um we have a, a a trash collection district where, where you look at your property tax bill, and based on the value of your property, you pay in, you know, the ad valorem share towards the total to make sure the garbage district gets funded. So the more your house is worth, the more you pay. You know, where in this, whereas if you go to Amherst or the city of Buffalo, you get a, a fee on your bill, regardless of the size of your property or the market value of your property, the assessed value of your property, or the appraisal. You all pay the same. Everyone pays the same fee in those places. Not so in Chitawaga. You know, I, I think it's a, I think it's a little bit more fair. We treat it like a public service and not like a, you know, a fee service or, or a contracted, you know, deal. Um, anyways, you, you know, you look at over the course of growth in the private trash collection industry over the last, let's say, 10 years, you know, I can almost guarantee you it's grown by more than the town of Chictawaga's consolidated garbage district. The The total cost of doing business for the consolidated garbage district has grown by about 5%, you know, where these private companies, their fees have grown a lot more than that. And yeah, it, you know, part of that is because their wages had to go up, where the town of Chictawaga has had a little more flex room in that. There's different rules as far as um, maintenance, inspection of vehicles, all sorts of things. Um, but point being is that, you know, Chick-Dawaga's, um growth in sanitation costs has been slower 
than some of these private companies. And yeah, the private company side started down a little bit lower than Chitawaga did, but you know, it's working out right now. And like PT Cruiser again, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But there's what, so many of them yeah, in this I, neighborhood. So one of the other things we do is uh, we pick up uh, grass clippings in the town. So not only do we go by and the town itself picks up your garbage every week. We'll come if you cut your grass and put the the grass in a barrel. We'll come and pick that up too. Why? It's just the way it's been, you know. And as far as the cost of it, you can say, well, why don't these guys just throw it in the garbage can? It costs about forty nine dollars a ton to throw it in the dump. And if you take it to a place like Good Earth, the compost site, you're paying less than thirty bucks there, somewhere between, you know, somewhere around twenty five dollars. Um, you think about the labor you're paying and all these things. But one of the things that came up in town recently was uh, we're looking for applicants to um, do this seasonal grass pickup, right? And we offered the positions. There's six to eight spots basically for New York State's minimum wage of twelve fifty. Now you're like, hey, hey, that's not a heck of a lot of money. There was literally an effort on our town board not too long ago to pay about two dozen people less than New York State's minimum wage. And you say, Brian, how can that happen? Well, the town of Chittawaga, Erie County, they're not bound by New York State's minimum wage. So theoretically, Erie County, town of Chittawaga, town of Hamburg, city of Buffalo can pay. Well, city of Buffalo has got an ordinance, I think. But they... if there's no other barrier, they could pay seven twenty-five an hour. Fair Labor Standards Act, federal law, dictates that they have to pay at least federal minimum to these workers. So, anyways, we're like, okay, you got a town of about eighty thousand people, and you have three applicants. A lot of people. So, something the wage is part of the problem. Um, and it's like, well, we're going to do this grass pickup this year. We need employees for it. Got to pay them more. So, there's some conversation among board members and all that, and it came to a vote uh, last Tuesday. So. Um, and I've passed on a 4-3. So I was able to get a second for my motion. I made the motion to raise the pay, and I got three other colleagues to support me, one to second, two to vote with the both of us. Again, and then three decided to vote against. We have a seven-member board. And uh, that that must be because you probably were raising it from something like twelve fifty to something crazy, like $25 an hour, like doubling the pay, right? Oh, no, no, $14. Oh, <laughs> So $1.50 more. So if you look at the the, the whole budget far. situation, we're talking a $93 million budget. The at, at most, this would cost an extra 6840 bucks out of a $93 million budget. Give you an idea, there's some, there's some of our, our department heads and, and some elected officials, they get $7,000 stipends annually. These are elected officials that are already getting paid a just about double the median income in the town of Chitawaga. I would, I would so, bet a robot dog costs at least $7,000. Oh, at least. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, you know, the, the, the point being is that if you're going to do this kind of stuff, you, you can't pay people like crap. And the wage scale is changing. You know, the minimum wage f- for for a lot of jobs right now is twelve fifty an hour. There's a fast food minimum wage that... Some of you might not be aware of. It is fourteen fifty at the moment. July first, that goes to fifteen bucks. I think, Jim, it would have been you that mentioned Arby's. Yeah, uh, you go to Mighty Taco. You go to Tim Hortons, McDonald's, Burger King. These guys are paying fourteen to fifteen bucks right now, somewhere in that range, because they have to. Not out of the goodness of their heart. Like, oh, we want to give you all the money in the world. We're going to give you the profits instead of you know delivering those to shareholders. And then what these guys are doing. They have to pay that. That's what New York State has said. And you've got on October 1st this year, the, the, the Labor Commissioner is going to recommend a 
minimum wage increase because the most recent minimum wage law that was passed requires that to happen now. Every October 1st to say, okay, because of inflation, because of the change in economic conditions, there's going to be a new minimum wage. We're going to raise it just a little bit. They'll determine what that number is on October 1st. But the labor market is different, you know? You can't pay 12 bucks an hour for some of these jobs anymore. People don't want to do them. And, you know, the state government and local governments have got to start adapting to these things. Does it mean the taxes are going to go up a little bit? Not necessarily. You can cut certain programs. You can cut certain positions and, and get a little bit leaner. But a lot of governments have already done that already, you know? Right. What is, let's say you had to raise taxes to pay this extra $6,800. That's not a lot of money that you have to get per person in an 80,000-person town. you got about 35,000 parcels, so we're talking a few cents. I mean, right. the cost of a Laffy Taffy. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, but it, those, those little costs do add up. I don't mean yeah. to trivialize that because, like, okay, we're going to give this person an extra few bucks. We're going to... We're going to agree to a new contract with a with a five percent increase for this particular service. All of a sudden, you you start putting a lot of laffy taffies on the table for each household to have to pay for. You know what I mean? Right. No. I mean, it certainly nickels and dimes add up to dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you also have to like pay people. Like, I, I talked to my father about this particular in, uh, issue, um, and he just guessed that. A part-time sanitation worker in the town of Chitawaga was probably making twenty dollars an hour. When I told him there it was twelve fifty, I, I he almost fell off his couch. Yeah, and these are seasonal. They're different from the part-time. Right, so, seasonal. The part-time are also making twelve fifty. The full-timers are making more because they have a union contract, and you're going to see this in any municipality where they got a union contract. You know, and if they didn't have that contract in this environment. Just imagine some of the things that can happen, you know. Um, that wage, they, they those wages could be closer to this amount, you know. Mm-hmm. That might not necessarily happen for your supervisory union or in some of the other places like the management workers or or, or middle management. They've got their own union. It might not happen for the police unions, but your blue collar workers, some of your white collar workers. Politically speaking, for a lot of folks, they're the easiest ones to go after and mm-hmm. get them to, you know, and whittle away their uh, their wages and say, "See, we, we cut taxes." I mean, know? look at, at twelve fifty an hour, even probably at fourteen dollars an hour, at nineteen hours a week for these seasonal workers. I'm assuming they don't get benefits. No, no benefits, but right. they they, but be, they, they they probably qualify for Medicaid. Yeah, and the, and raising that pay to fourteen might get them outside of that Medicaid range. Unfortunately, that might mm-hmm. have been what happened. But that goes to a different question of having to get to a single payer healthcare system, which is beyond right. the scope of this discussion. And that's an absolute necessity. And you're talking about the inefficiencies in government. Well, why do we have every single town bargaining with these damn health insurance companies and making setting their own rates? You can save millions through that and cover everybody at the same time. Mm-hmm. But now I lost my train of thought. You got me on healthcare. <laughs> the pension system, though, if it, you, you hire these folks, even seasonal or part time, they begin racking up their time in the system through that. So they do get that piece of it in terms of credit. But if they only work one season, I mean, 
they just get the wages is my point. I mean, they don't really make a dent in your health care cost, your pension cost, or anything like that. A lot of that comes from your, your lifers that, mm-hmm. that get the full-time job early on or on for a long time. And they worked a long time for the municipality. They earned the pension. So mm-hmm. you can't even begrudge them exactly. And do we have to find ways to save money and manage the long-term growth of the, of the state pension fund and that? Of course. But you, you can't do it on the back of somebody that say, we're going to pay you twelve we're going to expect you to come back next year. That's lunacy. The labor market has changed. That worked back in 2011. That's not going to work in 2021. Well, and dear listener, you might be sitting at home and thinking, I will never, ever think about the people who take my grass clippings again if I live in Chictawaga, or you might not be losing sleep over this issue, and, and point taken. However, I think it does speak to something, I mean, I, and not to trivialize it, this is actually, um, it is fascinating, and it is important to, you know, if you live in Chictawaga, that's your quality of life, like that's sanitation like that's literally like (laughs) the foundation of really a good society is a good sanitation system so when you start cheaping out on those things what you're effectively saying to your residents is you know we don't actually really care about the quality of life that you have because we're not going to properly pay for the people to clean up and, and take care of sanitation and it's just such an american attitude about so many things that if you're if you're paying less for something, you're cheaping out on it. You're, if you're not paying, like if you're not, if you're cutting a cost somewhere, inevitably you're getting an inferior product. And we have that attitude in a, about a lot of things in many ways, but not for our public services. We take the inverse relationship to that, that we cut every corner, that we make it as cheap as possible, that our tax bills be so small that, you know, what, what does government do for us? What is, you know, what's the point of paying? The, the, the damn government's taking all this tax money. And what does it look like when you cut those corners? Well, we're not going to pay sanitation workers enough to make a wage that they'd ever be interested in actually doing that job, that very difficult job, even if it's a seasonal or a part-time job. Why the hell would you do that for that wage when you could go to Arby's and make $14 an hour? Deep fried tacos. Deep know? fried tacos. You could do so many other jobs so if you're not offering a, an actual competitive wage for those services or if you're not you know providing a way where you could take care of your family like or whatever the case may be whatever motivation you have to take that job money if it's not there you're not going to take it and if people aren't going to take that money for those jobs job's not going to get done and it's not going to get done right. Mm-hmm. right we had six to eight positions open we left it open for several weeks Three applicants, town of 80,000 people. We didn't even fill all the positions. I don't think to, to, to this conversation that we have all the spots filled ready to go quite yet. We still need more people. We still need to hire more people. I don't even know if we've had enough applicants at this point. We may have. We may not have. I don't have a clear answer for that yet. You think you can find about a dozen people out of a town of 80,000 people, considering, you know, labor force participation rate, unemployment, those kind of things. But, you know, if you don't live in Chitawaga, the reliance on part-time labor is happening in your town, too. And I can almost sure as hell bet that they're not getting paid um, the kind of wages you think they would be. And these municipalities are increasingly reliant on part-time labor. You know, I mean, I, I would say the county probably is, too. I mm-hmm. mean, I think it's safe to, for me to assume that. Um, it, in, the, in in case of Chitawaga, the town of Chitawaga government is one of the five largest employers within the town. You've got the Galleria Mall and Pyramid. They employ a lot of people. It's a whole lot of people in that building and some other businesses. Chitawaga's on the top five list. So some of these other towns, 
the the government is one of the largest employers in the municipality, and if they have two tiers of jobs, some that pay living wages and others that are the quote unquote entry jobs, but you got people that are full full they're permanent part time and they're doing this for years. This happened with GM with this the strike recently. They wanted a two tier system for people that were starting. They wanted to get them on the like pay people doing the same work working next to each other and one's earning half of what the other person is as the relationship would happen for years on end at the GM plant. And that's part of why those guys went on and guys and girls went on strike not too long ago, you know, and this it's happening in the public sector too, but you don't see too many people talking about the part-time workers there and what they're getting paid. And it's one thing if you've got somebody that's seasonal only comes around for a couple months a year as a supplementary job, but some of these part-time jobs, that's this. That's these people' job, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or it, it, you, you can't you can't let this happen forever. And you get a lot of politicians talking about, oh, you know, we're the party of working people and good wages and all that. Like you literally have control over what happens with these people's fate. And what are you doing? You know, my my vision of America in its most optimistic form is civic pride in our services and the people who do them, who do these jobs, that we can boast about having the best sanitation workers. We, we have, like, our, our streets are clean. We have, and, and, and certainly not the case in, in Buffalo, let alone throughout the United States, but our roads are, you know, we have the best roads. or We, we have some kind of pride in our sense of place that, yeah, we pay and we get the best damn service that we can, not we cheap out on everything, we cut costs, and eventually we have this rickety infrastructure. Now, again, we're talking about sanitation workers in Cheektowaga, but to me, it's emblematic of a whole attitude throughout, certainly this region, throughout the country, that, hey, if we just keep cutting, or if we if we can maybe get our nickel and dime our tax bills, that, oh, hey, we'll, we'll save something. But at the end of the day, save it for what? Well, I mean, you know, you talk about, like, you know, cheaping out on public expenditures and it reminds me of I had a, a high school teacher at Lancaster High School uh, and things would go wrong frequently with the heating and, and cooling system there and he goes well that's what happens when you work in a building that was built by the lowest bidder yep yep well I think on that note uh, town of Cheektowaga council member Brian Nowak thanks for joining us Brian thank you where can we find you do, do you want to be found on the internet where can we find you I know last time you were on here you gave us your social media but for new listeners where can uh, you be found uh, I've got a I've got a Facebook page councilman council member Brian Nowak and I can be found on Twitter um, I don't even remember my own handle <laughs> we'll find, uh, we'll but find yeah it. you if you guys can can get the handle worked yep. into here somehow it just yeah. do you have a, do you have a campaign uh, website right now? I don't have a campaign website right now in an interesting situation where um, I don't have a primary and the website we had up we took it down after the last election never put it back up but we'll, we'll keep the Facebook page going and some stuff going on Twitter through the course of the campaign you know we got opponents in the general election but you know Chitawaga is a democratic town I feel really good about um, about winning that race in the general. We got to do the work, obviously, and right. earn the votes. But you know, it's it's a sixty forty town. You know, so I, I feel very confident about that. But you know, people can check that stuff out, and you can go look for the Chitawaga Democrats online, and you know, see what comes through there in the coming months. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, we're always excited to have a. Uh increasingly growing uh, cadre of returning guests and and Brian um, 
really excited to have you again. We'll hopefully have you again in the future because um, you are most definitely a friend of the pod. So thanks for joining us today. We'll do three hours next time, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Three hours of episodes, right? Every day, baby, yeah. when the yeah. sun goes down, get with my party and I begin to clown. I don't care what the people's thinking. I ain't drunk. I'm just drinking. Set them up. Another round. Set them up. Another right. round. And big thank you once more to Town of Cheektowaga Council Member Brian Nowak for joining us down at the square. Brian's great. Yeah, he's fantastic. I love having him on the show. He's such yeah. a he's such a thoughtful dude. Top mm-hmm. tier guest. He really is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's very knowledgeable, very thoughtful. Um, he's very passionate. Yeah. We could really talk to him about any subject, and I would walk away from that conversation conversation knowing more than I did before mm-hmm. it. Um, so huge shout out to Brian. To all of our listeners who came from last week and and heard all of the, the fun stuff we were talking about, and then come this week for you know speed zone cameras and... Um, sanitation workers and, and you stuck with us the whole time you're, you're listening now huge shout out to you um, much like eating your vegetables i hope you feel uh, strong and, and richer for the experience and you come to realize that actually you know what brussels sprouts are delicious mm-hmm. you just put a little bit of a, a maple bacon glaze on there jim or load it with cheese man you could load it with cheese if you want to yeah. poop your brains out there you go um you know i mean truly like it it, it feels good they're good and it feels good to eat your vegetables. So thank you for, for joining us at the square Buffalo's premier podcast of, uh, well, everything. We are the premier podcast of everything, whatever you name it, sports, not, not so much, but we could be, we're, we're not the sports podcast. Well, you yeah, always say that. I know, but we, we could be, if we want, we could be the premier sports podcast. If we wanted to be, we choose not to, we choose not to No news, culture, art, music, Premier number politics. one politics. <laughs> oh yeah, that too. Politics. No drinking too much. <laughs> drinking too, drinking much. too much. Yeah. Lawn mowing. Lawn, Lawn mowing. PT cruisers. Yeah. We're number one. And on the number one podcast, my 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 block is often known as the Nuremberg Ring of Western New York. Yes. By the way. Yes. So that's that's th- that's what it's known as. Checking his lap time there, PT cruiser guy. And friends, where can we find? all of you uh, on the internet. If, if you wanted more square content and you wanted to get it from just some rad boys, where would you, where could you be found, Ryan? At the real Ryan Steele on Twitter. Yes. Jim. Uh, I'm at, at Adam Bojack. Oh wait, no, sorry. I'm at James Tamil uh, on Twitter or battle Jim of the Republic on Instagram. Yes. Yes. And uh, oh, I'm on Instagram too now. Oh. oh, nice. I'm the real Ryan Steele on not, Instagram. Not the right Ryan Steele? No, I, I, had, I had an Instagram for a while, but I'm like, why does anyone use Instagram? But now I found, like, Instagram is actually interesting if you don't follow all the, the, uh, who are the you know, the, the, the influencer people. Right. I follow car Twitter and fitness Twitter. and Or Instagram. Instagram, Instagram sorry. And I find them very interesting. I, 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 I get a lot of dogs. Dog, oh yeah, dogs and cats, of course. Dogs, yeah, that's huge. Dogs and cats, yes. and uh, and office memes. Also, follow my cat on on Instagram, Boo Boo Sheldon. Yep, great Twitter or uh, sorry, Instagram. Instagram. Yeah. This is great, a great Jesus. advertising for Twitter here, by the way, Ryan. I know. I know. <laughs> that's true. Well, I can't know. wait for Boo Boo to get a check mark. 
I, same, same. She's got to get her license first. Get her verified. Um, and, and me, you know, I, I'm not a privacy freak, but I do value my privacy. I don't like to put my social media out there, but I do like to promote our show. And uh, if you're listening, hopefully you like to do the same. So we are at the Square Pod Buff on Twitter. We are Square Podcast on Facebook. You can like us, subscribe, uh, do all the stuff that you usually do with podcasts on the Apple iTunes Store, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all the big ones. There's, I know there's ones I'm forgetting, but if you listen to podcasts, you can find it there. You can also support us on our Patreon page. We're the Square Podcast on Patreon, right? Yes. Yes? Okay. You can support us. We're going to be coming out with some big stuff coming in the future. I know it's a little bit of a joke meme, the T-shirts, but it, it is in the, the works. We're going to come out with some new Patreon tiers soon as well. Um, just because we appreciate you guys, we appreciate, uh, you know, you listening, you hanging in there. We've been doing this now, what, over six months, seven months? Since October, September, October area. So it's about a little over the six month mark. Yeah. Yeah. And I have to say personally, for me, it's been very rewarding in this insane time in the world, um, to have like something to look forward to every week. And, you know, we have the micro focus on Buffalo and Western New York. Um, it, it, sort of helps keep me sane in a way to think that like life is still gone on going on that we still live somewhere that there's things that we can worry about like political races and um, things happening in the city it it's made me feel connected to the community in a way that i think otherwise i might not in this incredibly isolating time so thank you listeners for giving us a reason to do this uh giving us a reason to get together every week and hang out and drink beers and talk about fucking buffalo politics so that's all i got um yeah have a good one guys yeah try to do that next time